Welcome, everybody, to the Cult of Dave Podcast Network. A new chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming butthole, you ain't seen nothing yet. How long have you been here and you still haven't figured out that damn remote? Something good for ya. And welcome to this week's episode of the Something Good For You podcast, where the two of us sift through the bullshit to try to find a little something good to give you each and every single week. And I'm one of your two co-hosts, Alex Stiff. And across from me from the table today, we've got Captain Nunn. What's up, y'all? This is a uh, little bro episode, just the two of us. That's right. You were leaning in on that. That wasn't how you were mic checking that. Oh. <laughs> It's an intro slash my check, y'all. Hey, we're having fun now. Hey, you're you're fine. You're fine. It's just this is the same time. I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> like, oh man, not, coming in hot. That was not how you did that check. All right, we're good. <laughs> we're good now. We're good now. Excellent. Since at first we were not. <laughs> Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, no. You know how you were talking. We were talking about uh, last week about uh, how the Impossible Burgers just getting fucking pumped on every commercial in between football games. <laughs> yes, I, and I know how you. <laughs> Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, well, you were gonna, you were gonna give me shit for like bringing it up a lot last week, weren't you? <laughs> well, I caved in and tried one before this. Did you? Yeah, I was talking with. Uh, I went and saw. Uh, I was watching football with Davey and Lacey over at their little spot today, and uh-huh. uh, they're pushing it again. We wound up talking about it for a little bit too. And uh, Davey was going on about how uh, he was reading into it and saying that Burger King, uh, whoever's making the Impossible Burgers, uh, they'll put like beet juice in it to make it look like the fucking burgers bleeding and everything too. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, fuck it. I'll go try one. So how was it? It just tastes like a regular fucking uh, Burger King burger, except I don't feel like a fat piece of shit right now. <laughs> That's about the only perk, which is good. So, so you fell into it. I did fell. I did fall you, into you it. You did fell into it. I did it. fell into it. No, I just one of those deals where I was like, I got to try it once. Honestly, talking about giving you shit for bringing it up so many times, I didn't notice in the moment. It was only listening back, getting the episode ready to release. I was sitting here going, I was like, motherfucker brings this thing up like six times. He's obsessed with this. It's just weird because like I, I haven't been watching football regularly at all, and I used to watch religiously. And in between ads, you didn't see shit like that being pushed even like two years ago or anything like that. Maybe not even last year. No, and and again, I just feel like, I kind of touched on it last week, but I didn't really delve into it. I just feel like there's a lot more athletes that are going the vegan route. So it almost just kind of makes sense for them to kind of start promoting, you know, such something as like a fast food joint. Hey, all of a sudden, let's just say the sports player is vegan or vegetarian. Now they can have that Burger King sponsorship because they can be like, I like the Impossible Burger. Especially since they're paying <laughs> that much for advertising in all these football games, too. Exactly. So I'm sure there's that's not the only reason for it, but I can almost bet you that they've got their eye on at least a couple vegan football players that are on different teams that they're looking to snag for some sort of sponsorship. I'm almost willing to bet that. I know, and I haven't read anything on that or what anybody's vegan diet really is if you're that big i can't imagine uh well i guess doyle's pretty hefty like that too and he's a vegan yeah he's always preaching about some sort of plant-based protein stuff if if mikey was here he could probably explain more on that but but i can't think of any football players off the top of my head that uh, are real public with their uh 
vegan diets or anything like that. Yeah, which is a thankful thing because, you know, look out on the flip side. Then you'd be complaining, yeah, and there's this one football player that's always being all preachy about his veganism. So, I mean, it's it's, it's one of those situations where even with music, music fans, you know, it's like you got to have it one way or another. It's like you got to either find out someone's vegan or be like, God damn, shut the fuck up. That's <laughs> just entertainers in general, too. Like, yeah, I'll yeah. put football players and athletes as entertainers to an extent absolutely i mean you have to have some form of athleticism you're using your skill sets to uh you know get uh build your brand and help get victories and help get some rep for your city and everything like that that's what all sports is really at least the industry absolutely because look at cam newton it's like i'm not even a sports fan but i'm aware of this fucker if if anything for the way he dresses you know he's he's trying to make a scene by the way he looks and acts and a lot of the more famous athletes ever built their brand separately from the field, whether it's uh, Deion Sanders or uh, Bo Jackson or anything like that. Deion Sanders would come out and, you know, dress to the nines, you know, all decked out and would have like dumb quotes and shit like that. Not dumb quotes, but like silly shit like uh, you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, you play good. Uh, they pay good. They I was going to say, you get a lot of fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> they pay good, you live good. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I just see that as no different in, you know, them wearing or not wearing their branding. And this, they're having to do that slow move into, you know, being open about it. Because like you said, I'm sure that the mass majority of sports fans would be kind of turned off by that idea. And I'm sure that a lot of them are looking at those commercials confused like you are too. But you, you know just as well as, you know, any sort of political movement that you know a movie oh, studio yeah. does or any sort of you know um counterculture movement which i would still put veganism in a counterculture movement it's not that's not a negative but it's still not the mainstream it's and if something's not mainstream that's counterculture i believe and especially I be wrong but i do believe that's the way it works well especially in athletics if somebody has a different has like any sort of motive that they're pushing the sports world just or the fan base is just flip the fuck out they're like oh yeah they keep this shit off the field we don't need to talk about this mm-hmm. and stuff yeah, like so, that so so i so i bet you there's probably more in the field that run some sort of vegan or vegetarian diet but don't even talk about it and and it's still not for me i can't do it but i'm just saying that there are a lot of athletes now that i feel that are or active people that are kind of taking on that lifestyle because of a lot of, you know, oh, well, you know, meat makes you feel bad kind of thing, which. And there's a lot, a lot of budding industries like that too, with uh, people trying to take chances on the vegetarian industry or vegan industry and with the uh, hemp based products and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's going to play a role in any uh, advertising budgets with big companies like the NFL or anything like that going forward here in the next, in the next few years. I don't know. All I know is I'm sick and damn tired of hearing about these fucking vapes. <laughs> yeah, really. So we've talked about this before about how uh, you know with everybody flipping out over uh, vapes allegedly killing a killing uh, you know you know you know more about this than I do since you're in the industry. Yeah, I mean my. my not going to say where, but my day job is you know I do deal in you know vaping, and it's in the nicotine vaping. So it's like. When these articles first started coming out, it was a bunch of bullshit saying, you know, basically all vaping. And that's when the president hopped on it was like, oh, vaping. It's like, <laughs> no, calm down. And since and since then, he's been like, oh, OK, not all vaping. <laughs> so, Nailed the impression, by the way. No, I did. So so thankfully, he chilled kind of quicker on that one. But but what, now this coming out, it's like it was weed vape pens that were being bought off websites like Wish. And they were being cut with like B, like vitamin 
before before shit is stuff that was really bad for you and it was causing like some deaths and people were losing their ever loving mind over it and and people were still reporting that it was just regular vapes i know it and and that's what was killing me is like the overall article was not even the legal THC weed vape pens that you can get in Colorado or wherever that is legal. It wasn't even those. It was counterfeit ones. But people are taking a look at it as going, it's all vapes. And and that's just and that's just what really annoys me is there is correct information out there. It's just bigger news sources are not digging for this correct information. But this isn't the first time the vape industry has taken a lot of heat over anything. Like when it first started becoming, you know, mainstream, it caught a lot of heat for just the uh, tobacco products. Yeah, I mean, well, the the first thing was uh, it has antifreeze in it. Right. Which, that was misinformation because there's... Lord, really going down this rabbit hole, all right. <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, so, so, in... In e-liquid, there's three to four main ingredients. Your your main two, regardless, is either PG, propylene glycol, or VG, vegetable glycerin. That's what creates the output visual of your vapor. It also is what carries your flavor, which leads into you can have a flavoring in it and you can have nicotine in it. You can have either or. You don't have to have either of those. And... Three of those four, PG, VG, and flavoring, can be found in baby's training toothpaste. Look at the back of any fucking bottle. I'm not bullshit. <laughs> so people are trying to flip out saying, oh, well, this PG that's in there is um, antifreeze. Or it can be, it's also the same ingredient that's in antifreeze. And I don't have the information pulled up right off because I wasn't thinking we were going down this rabbit hole. But oh, yeah. there, there's a similar chemical compound that sounds like propylene glycol. And that's what's in antifreeze, which is harmful. Oh. And they were getting the terms confused and like normally that's not supposed to be uh, in the products or anything like that anyway right and it never was oh, okay they were getting the term confused that's hilarious yeah <laughs> it, it, it would be it would be like um trying to think of a good enough comparison um shit you're talking about somebody like just dropping the ball like that as far as like bringing up coverage on it Oh yeah, absolutely. It, okay, it, it would be like if uh, someone was promoting a vinyl record to be purple, but in essence, it was hot pink. <laughs> Just <laughs> that—that's really what it was. So, so it's like it's the same shade of thing, but it's a different chemical compound. If that makes any sense, and gotcha. it's they're completely separate. In fact. Propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin is also what you find in fog machines at those fucking Halloween uh, stores. Okay. It's that same sort of thing. And that's why when you saw those cloud competitions with people blowing those huge clouds. That makes sense. It's the exact same stuff that's in those fog machines. It's not water vapor. It's not any of this shit. It's the same stuff that the FDA has already approved for little kids to walk around and inhale during their fucking Halloween nights. Cut to our next show. We just have some Somebody just below the stage, just kind of like <laughs> hanging on to their vape, just we, blowing, up, blowing up huge clouds, when, making when, us look cool. When, a few years ago, when the cloud comps were really big, a few of my coworkers were joking, saying, "Hey, for our next show, you should just like stand <laughs> at the edge of the stage and just like constantly blow clouds for us." Thankfully, we did not do that. That would have been cringe as fuck, but still, <laughs> might have actually killed some folks, at least just out of exhaustion. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the other trick, too, is a lot of people were going, oh, look at them doing all that nicotine, you know, look at all those clouds. 
that was nicotine-free juice. It was just your. It was primarily VG, which is thicker, which provides more cloud. It was primarily VG with some flavoring. And that was it. There was no nicotine in that stuff. Because if you're doing those big inhales, yeah, you're going to get a lot of nicotine. So for the people that just wanted to, you know, enjoy fun flavors and blow big clouds that weren't addicted to cigarettes, they didn't even have to put nicotine in it. What's the point of that, though? It was a hobby. So so, so, So this is what I quickly found out. Because I understand this aspect coming as a former smoker. Smoking is an addiction. It's not a strong addiction. It's not like a heroin addiction. It's nothing like a thing like that. But if people have an addictive personality, dropping cigarettes can be almost as hard. They don't have to go through any sort of, you know, withdrawals or shit. I mean, they get antsy, you know, and shit like that. But it is truly still an addiction. I've heard it's the hardest thing to quit. It is definitely one of them. So, but I'm still not trying to compare it to people that you're right, right, with hard drugs. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the only clarification I was trying to give on that. It's extremely hard to give up, though. Um, what I have found is that there's similarities in those addictions, which is once they quit smoking, they need to find something to take up that time. You'll see a lot of people that they'll quit drinking and immediately start working out. Uh, They'll quit doing something and then, you know, they'll take on a new hobby. Mm -hmm. So these people, they quit smoking. So now a hobby of theirs is, ooh, I'm going to make up all these fun little e-liquids. Or, ooh, I'm going to build these coils to get my maximum amount of vapor. So they started getting real nerdy with it. And then you've got the extra little push behind it of a new community. That makes all the sense in the world, actually. And I never fell into that. I never found the interest because my outlet for that was music. Right. So I didn't fall hard into it, but I definitely see where people could have and did. It's just such a new, like, we'll bring up the term counterculture. I don't know if that whole thing is a counterculture per se. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you see people doing that, and you said that there are, you know, there were cloud competitions. I don't know how frequent those are now, but vaping culture is a thing. It was, and I would say the unfortunate thing as someone that does vape is it got real neckbeardy real quick. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Holy fuck. And that was the only thing that I really fucking hated about it. It's like you, all of a sudden it's like the fedora wearing, you know, neckbeards were coming out of the woodworks. Bro, look at my mod. Look at all these. I'm just picturing my brother. He's got a little obnoxious fedora at home and he gets little neckbeards every now and then. Yeah, he he would have fit right in, bro. Get, give him an extra 50 pounds. Boom. He would have fit right in. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But so, uh, and so it, it turned into that quick. And. It was fun in the early stages because it felt like a lot of kids about my age that kind of grew up with like the Nintendo and PlayStation culture was kind of creating stuff that kind of fit that aesthetic. So it's like, you're not wrong. In the earlier stages, it really felt like that. And that's why I kind of more gravitated to where I was like, cool. So this is like a lot of folks my age and we're kind of into the same music and kind of, you know, video game stuff. So, you know, I kind of feel it. And then all of a sudden it just felt like, over the over like a couple months, like the market shifted hard, and it, all of a sudden it went like hot topic as hell for a minute, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, and like guns and skulls and oh like oh god, the affliction, affliction cr- shit. And I was just like, what the fuck? It quickly turned into that, and then that's when I 
hopped off fast. <laughs> and and that's what's what kind of sucked though is that it kind of turned into all that because it's like people see you with a vape and they still picture that. What's more obnoxious, the vape culture or the brewery culture? <laughs> Ooh. I would I would have said the vaping culture, but it's died down so much. It kind of came and went as far as like mainstream, you know, like nobody's like going out of their way to go, oh, to make destination spots for this kind of shit. Brewery folks go to go all over the country and all over the world for their, uh, and it's been a thing for a long time too. And I like a good, you know, fancy brew every now and then. Seltzer beer. What I got? Oh, like the sparkling ale. Yeah, that's what Mikey had last week. I yeah. Think. Crafted to remove gluten. I got I my Impossible Burger and my gluten-free beer. <laughs> what the hell did you s- turned into? I, I'm so healthy. <laughs> I turned 32. That's what happened. Yeah, you turned 32 and turned 27. I'm in the cursed years now. Oh, whatever. I loved 20. I loved my late 20s. Oh no, I'm just saying. But in 27, like that oh yeah, you're supposed year, to be dead this year. Yeah, no, that's why I was like, and I just gotta get through this year now, right? Yeah, you'll be all right. Because you just, yeah, man, you need to quit those hard drugs that you do yeah, so really. much. All that Diet Coke and vaping. <laughs> As I've said a few times, I feel like weird uh, second world Marcus uh, Marcus Parks. From uh, last podcast? Yeah. I was just, I was just like, Parks, is that his last name? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm going to send you into rehab with James Hetfield or some shit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, side note. When we were talking about what we are going to do for this episode, I was like, I just don't want to, you know, push it, you know, and kind of force anything. And you're like, no, nah, don't worry, man. I'll just go into radio mode. And I was like, all right, cool. You are like legit in radio mode right now. If I you're told fucking, you. You finding fucking ins and outs. Jesus Christ. I've been doing this for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I have been too. What the fuck is my problem? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. That showed up the other day. James Hetfield is back in rehab. I know we're going to get some kind of monster part two or some shit. <laughs> I know. I just see a few of those comments. They're like, bring back Phil. <laughs> God. And I was talking about this with you earlier too, about, uh, about how, uh, what could it have possibly happened? Like my first thought was the extensive touring they've done since fucking, uh, death mag, is it not death magnet, the magnetic, what the name Hardwired. is Hardwired. Hardwired. They've been touring off this album for like, what, three years now. Yeah. And they still do like the, uh, two week schedule. On, uh, off and on, don't they? Yeah, but, but see, my question on that, though, is what... Okay, I don't think people really go into rehab for exhaustion, do they? I mean, I wouldn't think so unless he's, like, finding stuff to cope with the exhaustion, like maybe uh, right, fucking, and, like, sleeping pills or some shit. And that was my point. Is like, so, so, you, so initially when we were talking about it, that's why I was arguing with you, going, no, it's not that, because now having a minute to kind of reflect back on it and think of a better way to explain it. Yeah... I get it being on tour that long, but what caused him to go into rehab? Like, oh, what was he doing? That's my main question. I don't know. Metallica is just one of those bands that just tours all the goddamn time too. And they're not getting any younger. I mean, we talked about Lars. We bring up Lars quite a bit and how he has to, needs a lot of help playing drums these days. Yeah. No, I, I don't know though. It, it <laughs> I, I do remember this one thing though. And I found this kind of interesting is apparently there for a while he wasn't even allowed to have an instagram yeah i remember hearing about that too yes like he he got so hardcore into instagram that like his wife was like 
bro. <laughs> you have kids. Yeah. Put the phone down. <laughs> and and he, he one of his final posts was saying, I guess when you have an addictive personality, I guess it could be anything from alcohol to Instagram. Dude, no joke. I, I've gotten into full-on promo mode with all my shit on Instagram and have been like full-on addicted to that. Yeah. So no, I I just wonder if it was he fell back into because I think the only thing he really had issue with was alcohol. It was, was wasn't that the only thing they really touched on in some kind of monster, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the only one they like really like bring up like full on. But I'm sure like back in the '80s and shit, they were doing cocaine and, and speed and whatever oh, they needed yeah. to get because they were on the road all the time too. Even back I think then, that was more of a Kurt thing. I think Kurt was always saying that he he was more into coke. Has to be like some fucking. Uh, uppers and downers there's like some pills or i could still like be wrong that. on that one i now thinking on that i'm like thinking back to the self some kind of monster thing but with a camp as you know prestigious as metallica's is i'm sure they're not going to get you know you're not going to hear directly from no. the horse's mouth about what specifically it all is no because uh because what something else we also kind of touched on the other week was uh you know they're basically a rich diy band again yep. they, everything they do is under their umbrella they're not tied to any large record company it's all their management their promotion team it's all them so they're just they're just an extremely rich <laughs> diy band again they don't have q uh they're not under q prime or anything like that anymore i think that's ba- i think they kind of absorb them that'd be cool because q prime was like one of like the top elite um management companies in the world i think I could be wrong. Q Prime may have been a part of some uh, like the uh, Saint Anger era, but I think ever since they started doing Blackened Records, which was their record company when they bought everything back from like what Warner or someone, Mercury, whoever, whoever. yeah, whoever owned the masters beforehand, Electra, someone, that's, that's, that's <laughs> one of those eighties companies. Yeah, really. Yeah, once they bought back uh, everything from them and they did Blackened Records, I think everything since then has just been all in house, even management and stuff like that. Interesting. Like they've hired their own management team to do their shit. Be like, uh, could be wrong, but I do believe that's the way. Like they kind of talk about it. They just have like the one guy that's just stuck around since day one, just hanging out, kind of like what Alice Cooper does with. uh, Maybe. uh, God, what is his manager's name? He had a whole documentary. I know. And everything. Uh, His documentary is called Supermensch. I remember the name of the doc, but I can't remember the dude's name but yeah super duper Al- alice cooper super duper that was the alice uh, doc but there was a whole separate doc on uh on his manager oh there was I, yeah I didn't see that and he's real fascinating too and it's gonna and by the time uh folks listening are like yelling at me just google it you'll pick his name <laughs> out but yeah he's got a real interesting life he um was essentially responsible for making the celebrity chef a thing like he discovered emerald and gave him a t- and really? uh, put him on tv where is this one uh, it was on Netflix when I watched it, and this was like three or four years ago. It was around yeah. the same time uh, Super Duper Alice Cooper came out. Which, by the Chef way, Gordon, that's his name. There you go. Yeah, that that was one of those where as soon as you went, I was like, yeah, duh. I was actually semi disappointed with Super Duper. It felt like as soon as it was getting good, it stopped. You know what? The Chef Gordon doc was way more fascinating. Was it? Absolutely. Did you ever see Danny Says? I did. I enjoyed that one. I thought that was really good. I liked that one, but they took a lot of stuff from that one Ramones documentary, like at the very end, where Danny's like uh, talking about uh, his take on, you know, when the Ramones forms, specifically from um, uh, that one Ramones doc that came out in the early 2000s. 
end of the century. End of the century, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Raw was kind of the tour footage one, and then end of the century was more of the documentary one. But the Danny Field story is really fascinating, too, because mm-hmm. he's responsible for like a lot of my favorite band's careers, whether it's The Doors, The Stooges, MC5, The Ramones. And it's like, and I always knew he was kind of in the background. I always knew him. But I knew him best for The Ramones, but it's like watching that doc, it was like, oh, shit, that too? Oh, uh-huh. shit, that too? This all makes sense now. <laughs> Although I do have to say, the way I... Even though you were saying, you know, a lot of it was lifted, the very end of it was lifted from that one doc. Even though it was lifted for that, it was during the credits. Right. And I like the way they did it because they, I forget exactly the way because it's been a few years since I saw the movie. But it was worded in such a way like, you know, I did this, that, and the other, I, you know, ready to wind down. And then I found this one band and you hear one, two, three, four. And then it, you know, goes to the uh, credits because that was kind of like the last thing he was mainly known for. Yeah, that was like the crux of his whole uh, career was the Ramones or mm-hmm. or the the end of it, depending on whose perspective you give. Yeah. And, th- and that's why I just thought it was cool on it because he was even talking about winding down. And then it was like, but I found this one more band. And then you hear the count offers some lead in about the Ramones and then it starts the credits. I'm glad he like, it seems like he definitely defines his career successful, even though the Stooges, MC5 and the Ramones on paper weren't successful bands. I mean, they had successful no. legacies, but never made any real money until, you know, 30 years later. Is <laughs> Speaking of that, let me uh-huh. go into my radio mode. <laughs> uh, were you saying that? Uh, did Have you watched the uh, segments from the Black Keys on Joe Rogan yet? I have. I listened to that whole thing. I was going to say, that. that's why you probably brought that up, was that whole <laughs> defining success thing, because he brought that up in the uh, uh, talking about selling a million records, you know, oh, yeah, having that... success versus the Ramones never sold a million records yet. Look at what they what success is bestowed upon them for sure like a lot of my favorite bands never had that either i mean like motorhead did uh did for a minute but then became just a regular touring band for uh 30 years afterwards mm-hmm. yeah and i mean and a lot of the bands that um didn't even sell big back in their day are now getting their cash in like black flag <laughs> misfits <laughs> i know well even then like 20 years ago it was hard for them to catch a break Everybody was buying T-shirts, and whoever owned the like the rights of the T-shirts were making all the money. And see, and I I know the Misfits side of that a little bit more. I wonder on the Black Flag side who was getting all that money. I think Greg Ginn owns just about all of it. Yeah, he's he has the name for sure. Yeah, I knew that's that. why he's the only one that can tour under Black Flag. Yeah, I was talking with somebody on the somebody was asking, should I go see a Black Flag live? And everybody's like, no, no <laughs> it's a shit want, show. You want to see Flag? <laughs> mm-hmm. If Flag even like decides to do anything anymore, that that was a great show though. Honestly, yeah, that was probably one of the more top the top ten mo- most fun shows I've ever been to, just because it was a, one of my favorite venues. Period, and it's all class. It's mostly classic members. Oh yeah, no, and the one thing I wasn't expecting was Dez. Dez was on it. guitar too. And those were my f- two favorite Black Flag vocalists ever were Keith Morris and Dez. Mm-hmm. No, and and having Keith on uh, vocals was a much better experience than anything Greg could just give on guitar. And, <laughs> and, even, I, and, I, and that's not even shitting on Greg, but it's just like no version of his band was ever great. Not, on the reboot, rather. Well, they have Ron Rees, and then they had uh, Mike Vallely, or they have yeah. Mike Vallely currently, mm-hmm. which is odd, but it is what it is. I guess Greg Ginn can do whatever the hell he, he wants. He was tearing through some vocalists there for a minute, firing people midway through tours. He just, just needs the money off the name, I guess, for touring. Yeah. Something I actually found out through all that. Uh, 
kind of bringing it back to full circle, even back to Misfits a little bit, uh, that young drummer that Doyle had for a while, Brandon Presborn, yeah. uh, he played drums on the As We Die, the second record. Yep. Found out he played in Greg's version of Black Flag. Oh, shit. <laughs> he played drums in that for the first like leg of it. I, so I found that out later on. I was like, that's interesting. I think he's playing with Manson now. He is. So he's just kind of moving on up in the world. Yeah, I, so I thought that was kind of funny how I could have seen him once through that, but then saw him once or twice with Doyle. And even then, like, he was just kind of walking around, hanging out, like, just being, like, a normal kid. But it's like, now he's on tour with, like, Marilyn Manson. So it's like, after that, he's going to come back and be like, I'm the hot shit now, motherfucker. I got my big boy gig. I'm I'm not only playing with Marilyn Manson, I'm playing with fat Marilyn Manson. Fat, (laughs) drunk Marilyn Manson. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen tonight. I've never been a Marilyn Manson fan, but I kind of love watching... It's not, I don't want to say I love watching him be fat and drunk all the time now, but, but he was you such, love watching him be fat and drunk. He was put on such this like evil satanic pedestal when yeah. I was growing up too. Oh, I remember that too. Yeah, and I remember that re- uh, reverberating down to me, and I wasn't even part of that culture because when because what was the years he was real big, like mid to late nineties, exactly. So. I, me being born 92 so it's like i I was barely 10 at at his height so it's like but i still felt reverberations of that like i would hear the name and it would still have like that evoking like ooh, no we that's not something we do my parents definitely knew who marilyn manson was and thought he was the devil and shit like that oh yeah same thing with like slipknot and all that that was kind of coming up at that time and and even same thing Corey taylor like because he did like that new mask that even made him look fat i know it (laughs) i don't know maybe that's the thing now is the the 90s new metal bands or they, they're taking on the fat persona. Is that what just happens with all the 90s rock stars? They're just like old and depressed. and with Someone call corn. <laughs> they're, they're still crushing festivals right now. Are they? I, yeah, See, that's how far disconnected I am from all that. I know too much about the industry. I, was, I listened to like Jamie Joss's podcast about like uh, their uh, his audience is like hardcore and 90s rock and stuff like that. But every now and then he'll get somebody like a Pepper Keenan from like Corrosion and Conformity and, and uh, Zach Wilde and Duff McKagan and shit. Bring him back to Marilyn Manson for a second. Did you see that footage where he like tried climbing up on like this gun cross and it like fell on him? Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Again, you're, you're supposed to be big and scary, Marilyn Manson. At least with Rob Zombie, he never like put on like an evil persona. He was just like, you know, the horror movie, like, you know, dance, you know, master of ceremonies. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> I just remember seeing that, and my first thought was, Marilyn Manson still thinks uh, Iron Cross made of guns looks cool, and then my second thought was, <laughs> why is he climbing on that? And then my third thought was, well, he, oh, deserved, well, he deserved that. Yep. <laughs> you earned that one, Brian. That's Brian. His, that's his real name. <laughs> I actually worked with this guy in a kitchen one time that was like, yeah, I actually... Um, one of my friends went to college with him, this, that, and the other. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And, you know, when you when you always hear that sort of stuff, you're immediately just like, you know, yeah, okay, bro, whatever, and just, like, immediately discredit it. But then, like, we'd keep working, and he'd, like, drop this random bit of knowledge, and I'm just sitting here going, like, and I never went and researched it, but I'm sitting here going, either this guy is really good at, like, Googling shit, or this guy's actually, like, for real. Because we'd just be on the line, and he'd just be like, yeah, 
uh, he actually said, I remember you said his name like that too. And he goes, yeah, Brian, he, um, if you go back and look in the yearbooks, uh, he's actually not in any of his actual yearbooks. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, cause he didn't want his photo taken and you can actually opt out for that. I was like, yeah, I know that. He goes, yeah. He goes, he opted for his photo not to be included. Hmm. I was like, that's interesting. He goes, yeah. And, uh, he was actually part of like, you know, the, uh, the, I forget the way he worded it, but it made it sound like hair class and like high school, college. Okay. I knew he was like a journalist in college or some shit like that for like whatever, like a college uh, magazine or whatever for music. Yeah. But, but he, he dropped like some sort of thing. Like I, just some useless knowledge. Yeah, like some, like, it was some sort of like cosmetology, something like he said, he was always hanging out with the girls that did hair and makeup. And I was like, okay. but that's, but that's interesting though, because he's never taken the makeup off in public still to this day. So really? I wonder if he was conscious about the, about any of that, you know, even leading into it. Yeah. If, if, if and what's that, funny is I bet you there's a Marilyn Manson fan out there, at least sitting there right now going, shut the fuck up. You ignorant cocksucker. Oh, I know it. You know, nothing. I don't. Why are you speaking on topics? You know, nothing of because that's what you do on a podcast Stay in your lane. <laughs> no, talk about your kiss band. Hey, at least they learned to take their makeup off when they got old. <laughs> No, they didn't. They're still doing it. Well, that's, well yeah. Well, on, sta- on stage. You never see Marilyn Manson do public appearances without his whole getup, though. So you, I wonder if he's like still like trapped in his character if, uh, in this yeah, day and he's age. He's not wearing that much makeup. It's just white face. It's just some powder. But still. He, he just ghosts himself up and throws a little eyeliner on. It's no different than what a girl does going out. It's just instead of, you know, natural contour color, it's just white. He's still in character, though, is the thing. Yeah, I mean, Gene Simmons is in character during interviews, whether he's in or out or makeup. It's like out of makeup as a becomes, certain character. When he becomes Business Gene. That's still a character. Yeah, that's definitely a you, character. You, you don't think Business Gene wakes up in the morning and has a cup of coffee with Shannon? And puts on his sunglasses like, all right, honey, I'm about to head out. <laughs> yeah, really. It's like, no, he, the Business Gene isn't Look, there during that time. Looks at the mirror and just goes, you're a powerful and attractive young man. <laughs> you are an, a, power, a powerful and attractive young man. <laughs> Psyching himself up before hopping in his multi-million dollar limo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be me. <laughs> I still kind of want to meet. He's, out of all the members of KISS, he's the one that I kind of want to meet. I would like to meet him now. Exactly. Because, because what I've heard is that he's kind of had a, he's turned over a new leaf. He's a lot more grateful about things. So he doesn't have his head so far up his ass. I'd love to meet Paul on a good day <laughs> when he's not feeling no all bitchy. <laughs> when he's not in full business mode and he's just relaxing. Yeah. You want to meet him in a, uh, sitting in a bed with a bunch of girls just wrapped no. around his legs? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm good. And I have my moment with Ace. It's not going to get any better than that. <laughs> that was better than I could have ever asked for. I'm not, I don't want to meet him again. I know it's never going to be better than that. I don't know what my icebreaker would be for Peter Chris. I would probably tell him that I actually enjoyed a solo album. I would, I would go back and listen to it a few times because I already know that I like tossing and turning. But it's like I'd find one or two more to appreciate. And that'd be my opener because not a lot of people tell him they like his solo album from yeah, Kiss. True. So I'd, that that would be my icebreaker. Is it, that, that's what I've always found. It's like if I know I'm going to meet some sort of, you know, music, you know, musician or celebrity, I like to find a deep cut thing that I genuinely enjoy. Catch their attention a little bit. Exactly. Because I learned that trick from mom. Uh, 
Charlotte used to have kiss conventions. And uh, Clown played the first Kiss Convention, too. That's cool. And, and for that, they had Bruce Kulick there. I was about to ask if it was that time period before the reunion and all that. Uh, it was post-reunion. Okay. Uh, it was after the reunion, and um, Bruce wasn't doing anything. And uh, so he came in for the first annual Charlotte Kiss Expo. And he did a little guitar tech thing, you know, playing some solos on stage, you know, this, that, and the other. And he also had a signing. And I remember before then... So of course, I was excited to meet him and everything. And um, mom goes, now what are you going to say to him? And I was going to tell him that I enjoyed his revenge stuff because I did. And she goes, no, don't say that. She goes, a lot of people tell him that. <laughs> Everybody loves revenge, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. and, and she goes, tell him that you enjoyed his performance on Unplugged. And I was like, but I like revenge better. She goes, trust me. I was like, okay, okay. And to be fair, he killed it on Unplugged Record. And he did, of course. And now, in hindsight, you know, being a lot older and being able to appreciate that stuff, absolutely destroyed it on that. But, of course, being a young little rock and roller, I'm like, no, I like Revenge Battle. She's like, say that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> finally gets up in line. He signs a little piece of paper for me. And I finally muster it up. I was like, hey, good, good to meet you. I really liked your work on, you know, Unplugged. And he just immediately like knelt down. He goes, really? Thank you. And like starts telling me about the guitar, even though that was all going over my head, you know, cause he asked, he's like, do you play guitar? And you know, I had a guitar. You're like, sure. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah. He goes, oh, well this was a yada yada guitar. And you know, this, that, and the other. And you know, oh, it was really cool to be able to play with. I see you wearing your ace makeup. Oh, it was cool being able to play with him, you know, and gave me like a few moments and, you Aww. know, and then talked with mom. It's like, this is your son. She's like, yes. You know, and then we post for a photo and all that stuff. So that was that moment where I realized, I was like, okay, mention something that they probably don't hear a lot because I also noticed him doing the quick little sign. Oh yeah, great to meet you. Click, next, sign. Yeah, great to meet you, man. Photo, next. Doing the standard con deal, yeah. He was more than gracious, but was still trying to get people through the line. But it's like, even though I'm sure the fact that I was a kid made him kind of pause for a second anyway, that still enlisted that first little thing in my head of bring something up they don't know or they w wouldn't hear a lot. It was, it was weird. It's like the one time I went to a con here in Charlotte was uh, Elvira was one of the big uh, attractions there. And I was wearing my Frank Zappa t-shirt there that day. She was the icebreaker on that one. She's like, oh, that's cool. I used to babysit Frank Zappa's kids. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, really. <laughs> I've seen his kid play a couple of times on guitar. Mm -hmm. Old Dweezil Zappa. And I don't know if I mentioned on the show or not, but that same uh, convention is how I almost snuck that Doyle photo. Because I oh, snuck yeah. it with uh, Chud because I know that new one was going to talk to Dr. Chud. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. So I was like, hey, man, I really like X-Ward. Boom. Oh, really? That Thank you so end. much. Oh, yeah, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 this, that, and the other. Hey, uh, you might forget a photo. Yeah, sure. And Ryan's about to pull it out. I noticed Doyle kind of in the frame. I was like, hey, let's get it real quick with the big man, too trying to circumvent that fucking photo fee that Doyle had and I was about to fucking get it too because Chud taps him on his shoulder he goes hey photo real quick he leans he goes, in okay yeah he's like okay leans in throws up the horns right as I'm about to fucking snap it one of the fucking handler guys was just like did you pay it's like 
fuck. <laughs> Across from the room, there's your mom uh, seeing you interact with Chud going like, I taught him well. <laughs> oh, no, that was for real. Uh, mom and Clayton were around the corner just in case they needed to take the photo for me. And they were watching me maneuver all of this and then like come back with like sad puppy dog eyes. I was like, I almost Aww. did it. <laughs> do, 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 do. Well, it's because it also has such a good reaction over the handful of other people I ever got to talk to at those conventions. PJ, Ace, not Marky. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, except for him, I always had a good, you know, way of like getting in and, you know, finding a way to either get, you know, a little something extra just because I'm being nice to them. And that's always the way to do it. And that same con I went to, uh, I think the first thing I did was just kind of just walk into like a little theater they had in a conference room. They were having a... Uh, and, for, and for clarification, you're, you're talking about Mad Monster Party. Yes, you're, not, Ma you're not talking about a KISS convention. No, no, yeah, Mad Monster <laughs> Park convention, but yes. they'll have like various celebrities come out and do uh, Q&As and stuff. Yes. But uh, I even was, uh, even wrestlers too. Oh yeah, that's just Charlotte though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they had a uh, conference room set up, and they had a um, CW show that they show the premiere episode on on a big screen mm -hmm. in there, and I was just in there just because I was there. I got there early. I was Why the meeting hell up with you guys. Something. And there's uh and there's there's fucking Sid Haig sitting right next to me, just chilling out with everybody. Yeah. Was, and uh, when it was over with, we watched the first episode. We walked out. He's just saying hi to the folks that recognized him and just being one of the boys with everybody else too i think we just said hey too and i thought that was that was interesting thinking about that when it was announced that sid Haig did pass away the other day and i think it's because also that culture in general understands everything i just explained right because you know even though sid was very popular in the horror community I still think as an overall outside of his character he wouldn't be mobbed by people no but he was still extremely popular and beloved. Take that movie version of Ramon's records. Right. Kind of put it in that kind of framing. Not extremely popular, but very popular and beloved. Yes. Yeah, that just, makes any that's sense. That's kind of how uh, the horror genre normally is. You don't have like huge superstars out of that. Every like uh, main state that people like uh, think of on one of those older movies, they have uh, they know who the actors are. Mm -hmm. Like the true horror fans know all that stuff. But like mainstream. No, not so much. It's about like Ramones or punk rock and shit like that, too. Absolutely. So I think that's the reason why so many of those people in that community, you know, get good experiences with people like Sid. Or, you know, he, he feels good enough to kind of hang out and feel comfortable. Not really. I'm sure he had a handler like within the room. I'm or, sure you know, they all around. Yeah, because he had a big pop after the Rob Zombie movies came out, too. Yeah. So I'm sure he had someone around just in case something bad has started to happen. But he's still free enough just to kind of mingle around people is because everyone else there is just like oh there he is you know just leave him be you yeah. know it's like everyone has that respect of just don't mob him you know if you want to say something say something but hey be cool move on and if you just kind of go about it that way i think you just could ex get good experience he was kind of, of like intimidating looking enough anyway where he still kind of yeah, had that, that just old grizzled look on his face <laughs> where like nobody's gonna fuck with him anyway and that was a, and that was kind of the fun thing too is a lot of people kind of bringing it back to the cons a lot of people kind of shit on the whole you know and, and even i'm a little guilty of it too mainly because of the prices but people in general complaining about paying for a photo i have no problem paying for a photo sometimes the prices i wind up looking at i'm like 40 fucking dollars fuck you <laughs> <laughs> but i'm not against the idea of it a lot of people are against the idea of it but when he passed away 
that showed a perfect example as to why people do that. I saw so many photos of people with him at different horror conventions or different meet and greets. Yep. Yes. Everyone was able to get their moment, whether they decided to pay for the photo or not, they got their moment. So that's the positive in all that is they're not, it's like they're doing it for them. You know, it's like because now one of the favorite people they watched in one of those movies has now passed away, but they've got that photo where they remember talking with them for that 10 seconds, you know, and moving on. It's like that. That's why it's there. Or if your jackass is like me and you just kind of just have him sit next to you and just say, hey, in a little uh, conference room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's like, you know, but so I. When I saw that, I thought that was really cool, though. It's like the majority of the photos being shared, especially out of my friend group, you know, and it wasn't like all the same years because he came back year after year after year. And not a lot of people realize that a lot of these out of work uh, horror movie uh, cult actors and wrestlers and stuff like that, that's how they make their living because they're able to make a living through that. And is I don't really necessarily see it as a bad thing. No. Because it's like, if you're able to monetize who you are, then, I mean, all well for it. I mean, if people are willing to pay for it, then go for it. And people will do it, too. I mean, that's all Ric Flair does these days. He just makes appearances at conventions. Yep. And something I actually found kind of interesting lately is... uh, And it's one of those things I'm kind of kicking myself for not kind of hopping on sooner because I felt like it was always going to be around, is... I pay attention to the Jay and Silent Bob store online pretty often because they're always putting like new little stuff up. And the majority of the things you could always get signed by Kevin and it was only like, you know, 10 extra bucks. But it was things that like I really had no use for. Like there was a lot of signed DVDs and it's like I already had the DVDs, you know, and stuff like that. And I noticed within the past few weeks, a lot of those items slowly started disappearing. And I was like, oh, well, people are really buying these up because, you know, the new movie's coming out. Oh, well, you know, there'll be new shit, you know, coming out here soon. Yesterday, I saw he made this Instagram post and he's doing like a bunch of like signing, like he's signing a bunch of old stuff that I noticed disappeared off the Secret Sash website. And he's signing them along with like a handful of other people from Clerks and this, that, and the other. And they're going up on this one website and they're like, $200 now. All right. So what kind of items are we talking about here? Like DVDs, skateboard decks, like old promotional packs for clerks too. So yeah, I'm curious about like the DVD. 10 by 12. So just the DVD industry, does that, is that bad where they have to like clean house and just make it some, uh, market it somehow or up the value up a little bit just to get rid of them or uh, get them out of stock or whatever with the way technology is coming in? Because they kind of like, they're not even putting in, um, uh, this reboot movie in theaters or anything like that, except for like appearances, they're just taking it on the road themselves. It, it doesn't seem like there's a distribution. Uh, no, no uh, film companies distributing it through uh, theaters. They're just taking it on the road themselves. So I wonder if they're, uh, if uh, the DVD, uh, they're running out of sales for DVDs and shit like that. So I've explained this to you a few times. <laughs> I know I'm rambling. <laughs> You're not rambling. I've just <laughs> okay. For the mass public, that may be just as confused as my lovely co-host here. (laughs) They're doing two releases, two versions of the release. They're doing the Jay and Silent Bob Reboot Roadshow, which is coming to town in, I think, February. Right. Uh, And that's where Jay and Silent Bob, both Kev and Jay, are going to be showing off the movie and doing a Q&A after. Uh, It's not going to be just Kev. It's going to be Kev and Jay. 
Uh, they're taking it on the road, showing it off, doing a little Q&A, all that shit. But there's a secondary release that's coming through in October where it's just the movie at a movie theater. Okay. So, and that's being released through Fathom Events. Okay. So that is the, so it is being distributed, but it's a one night only kind of dis- distribution thing. Gotcha. Well, it's, it's technically two nights. One night is just the movie with a poster, and then another night is a double feature with uh, Strike Back and Reboot. Just Kev's approach with the whole uh, industry, at least with his industry, it's just always real interesting to keep up with. Oh yeah, and from what I've been able to gather the long term is they're doing these preview showings which is what they're showing you know without the road show attached right uh the fathom events one that's kind of the previews uh and then they're taking the road show approach with the q a you watch it with them this that and the other and then he said that there was going to be some sort of digital distribution after that. So I would assume like Amazon yeah. purchase, this, that, and the other. And if he's doing that, he's at least going to do Blu-rays. Because that seems to be the only like physical product that sell that uh, sells anything these days. Yeah. Hey, we're talking about like a VHS kind of making a resurgence and how DVDs are just kind of going by the wayside too. We're not even like the DVD side of things, but... I don't know. That's still interesting, though, because when's the last time you bought a DVD of anything? Yeah, and that feels like one of those formats that was destined to die once Blu-ray became affordable. I feel like that's a little bit different from CD to MP3 if we're wanting to draw that comparison, because all DVD to Blu-ray is is an upscale. It's technically the same product. It's still a disc with a movie on it. So for that, for DVD to be phased out, once DVD is phased out, I don't think that's one of those that'll ever be brought back. I think that the Blu-ray format, once that fully takes over, that'll be just the new norm until the new disc takes over that. But even then, everybody's just going to want to stream it anyway. Yeah, and... I wonder if there's ever going to be the pop or the bubble bursting where people are like, fuck this, I want my physical media back. You think it'll be like that uh, impactful with uh, the film industry as far as like a resurgence and that kind of thing? Possibly, because you have to think about with all these different ways they're splitting up these streaming services. So with Disney Plus that's coming out, they're pulling all Fox, National Geographic, Marvel, they own National Geographic. Yeah, uh, Marvel, uh, DC. Well, not DC. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> Marvel, Star Wars. They're pulling all of that off Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, all of that, and it's all going to Disney Plus. Right. So that means stuff like Family Guy and The Simpsons that Hulu had, if I have my information correct, is going to be taken off Hulu and is going to be on Disney Plus. And then you've got CBS doing their streaming service. And then you've, of course, got your stars, Showtime, HBO. All of them have their own packages. Uh, Peacock, the NBC one, that's coming out. ABC's already had an app for a minute, but that's going to be probably folded into... To Disney, since they own ABC, too. Yeah. So that also means any sort of ABC syndication... TV shows that showed up on those that are already on Hulu and everything too. I'm willing to bet those will be taken off. So with the way the movie apps with all that all tie in is once it starts getting split up too much, people aren't going to go. All right. Well, it's not on Netflix. It's not on Amazon. Fuck. It's not on Disney because they took that off for a little bit. It's not over here. You mean the only way 
I have to purchase the digital copy now? Son of a bitch. I got to go to my fucking store and pay 50 cents for it now. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think that after a while, I think once enough people forget their passwords to their clouds, they're going to start f embracing physical media a little bit more. As that, that's, that's all it takes for you to lose your entire collection. You can't remember your password. Because it's just all on one little thing. Yep. I could just go away with like, if it gets damaged, it's fucked. Because basically with the way any digital movie purchase is set up now is basically through Amazon. Even iTunes is connected to Amazon. So if you I purchase, so even if you purchase a movie through iTunes, you can still watch it through your Amazon. You just have to tell the, you basically just have to tell the accounts, Hey, this is the same account. And they're like, Oh, okay. Damn. That's all it takes. Disney and Amazon just kind of just ruling everything, aren't they? Oh yeah. So it's like basically any sort of movie, digital movie purchase goes through that voodoo. You know, when you used yeah. to purchase a uh, Blu-rays and it would come with that voodoo card. Yeah. Voodoo got absorbed by Disney. So even those things that goes through the Disney movie service, which is connected to iTunes, which is also connected to Amazon. Also kind of like not a hard left turn, but did Spider-Man get, uh, back on Disney too? We'll go back into that in a yeah. minute. But so exactly what you said, essentially all of your movies are being cultivated into one area. Now you lose that account, you lose your collection. Yep. And I feel that there's enough people like me <laughs> that don't remember their passwords after they fucking force you to change them every fucking three months. Yeah, no joke. And then they're like, it can't be one you've previously used. And it's like, motherfucker, I'm not going to remember this now. I've got like four passwords I'll cycle through and that's about it. <laughs> I've only got so many DVDs upstairs too. Y'all better work. <laughs> yeah, so... So I just think Blu-ray will wind up staying the actual physical medium. And it, and I would like to think at some point the bubble's going to pop on the whole streaming and cloud service and people are going to embrace physical media again. Well, what's going to happen with uh, Netflix since they have, apparently they have all the fuck you money in the world to pay folks like Eddie Murphy and Dave Chappelle to do stand-up specials in, but you keep hearing stories about them losing money. Well, it's because you can still be losing money while still being liquid. Right. So just because they're losing money doesn't mean they're going in the negative in their bank accounts. That means the amount that they're spending, they're not getting back. Do we know what the cause of like the uh, reported uh, losses are coming from? Is it from people like sharing passwords and shit like that? From what I've understood, Netflix is extremely tight lipped when it comes to their algorithms and their revenue. I've so, heard that there, too. so there's not a lot of information that's out. Basically, the only bit of info they've kind of given is that I mean, they just have to report, you know, to their shareholders, you know, basic information, and that's just what the public also gets because that just gets released. And it just legalese terms taken down to layman's terms essentially they're spending x amount and not getting that amount back they still have money to spend but let's just say uh you have in your bank account a hundred dollars okay and you spent twenty dollars on something and you only got five dollars back from it right you would report a loss mm -hmm. you still have a lot of money to spend but that ten dollars you gave out expecting get to get twenty back you only got five back it's so like you the, would report a loss it's like they're running on credit or some shit 
their own money. Yeah. And eventually they're just going to run out of money. That's still pretty interesting that they never really like show the numbers at all. It's like uh, Luke Cage is the number one show on Netflix. Oh, now yeah. it's canceled. Yeah. How, many, like, how many people tuned in? Go fuck yourself. That's <laughs> like going, my daddy's rich. How much money does he make? Don't worry about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yo, daddy's rich. You're bro- your ass is broke. <laughs> sure. <laughs> nice. Nah, since you brought it up, the whole Spider-Man thing. Even that was a little bit tight-lipped, but from what I understand, it seems like they came back to some sort of agreement. So what wound up happening on that? Probably the back. Well, go ahead. So yeah, what happened on that was in order for Spider-Man to stay part of the MCU, Far From Home had to make a billion dollars in the box office. Right. They were almost to a billion, and that's when they put the movie back in the theaters again and did that secondary push with them saying they had an extra, you know, bonus features or, you know, like five minutes extra. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They eventually crossed that one billion mark. Everyone did that quick sigh of relief, like, ah, yes, thank God. Okay, yes. You know, capitalism at its finest. Everyone got tricked into spending more money. Yay, whatever. But we're going to get the stories we've been wanting. You know, we're going to keep them going. And then... Shortly after, apparently, there was some sort of disagreement. Marvel tried to redo the contract. Uh, Sony didn't uh, like those terms. They wouldn't agree to disagree. And then they just pulled Spider-Man and went, no, fuck you. (laughs) And what basically that led to was Tom Holland and the whole cast was still signed on for the movies, regardless of what studio owned the rights to the the movies either way. Exactly. So Tom Holland and that Spider-Man was still signed on to two more movies regardless, regardless of what studio had it. He was still signed on to those movies. So being taken back into Sony, Holland's sitting here going, well, I can't really do anything about it. I'm still signed on. And regardless of what studio has me, I'm still getting paid, motherfuckers. Yeah, basically. So he's just staying quiet because there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah. Um. Feige took the route of we were expecting this all along and we finally we got to tell the story we wanted to tell with Spider-Man and you know as sad as it is to see him go you know we are looking forward to Marvel Phase 4 yada 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 blah 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 Sony's sitting over here shitting their pants we've got Spider-Man back oh my god yes now we can do Venom and Spider-Man again (laughs) and they were like announcing that shit that that was like already in the plans and that they were drafting up scripts and all this shit and the reason people were kind of really down and on it was the fact that since it was no longer going to be part of Marvel Studios, they couldn't reference anything that's happened in the Marvel movies in this next film. And that would have fucked up a lot of movies going forward. For both series, yeah. because one of my big gripes with the way they treated Spider-Man in this role was he's relied so heavily on Tony Stark. Did you actually see the second movie yet? Uh, uh, was it Far From Home or yeah. is it Homecoming? No, I haven't watched Far From Home yet. Uh, it's actually on digital. Uh, depending on what time uh, you want to speed out tonight, we might watch that. It's really good. Anyway, um, without telling you much on that, they still don't deviate far from that. Tony Stark is still a major part of this movie, uh, even though the fucker is dead in canon now due to Endgame. Iron Man's just in it even after death. In a way, yes. That's funny. So he is still heavily tied into this movie like a motherfucker. So for the future of the MCU with the way this movie wraps up, no spoilers since you hadn't seen it yet, 
it still relied on the history of what's happened so far, including Spider-Man, for this next phase to move forward. Right. Same thing with the next Spider-Man movie is going to hinge on what's happened in the Marvel Universe for the next one to make sense. Again, no spoilers because of the second movie for you. So once this split happened, they're looking at the next phase of Marvel movies going, fuck, we can't reference Spider-Man at all. And then they're looking at the Spider-Man movies going, fuck, we can't reference anything that just happened to this fucker at all. <laughs> I know I need to sit down and watch and catch up with that, but I was kind of curious to see if, uh, did any backlash contribute to any of the uh, moves that were made too? I honestly don't know. Because the backlash was just unanimously, fuck you, Sony. I honestly don't know because I honestly think that Sony thought they were in the right and they knew what they were doing because they had such a hit with Spider-Verse. Right. They're sitting here, and even though Venom was critically panned, yeah. it made a ton of money. It made a lot of money, enough to merit a sequel, apparently. Apparently. So they're sitting here going, we know what we're doing now. We're going to take Spider-Man back. So once they got him back in their hands, I'm sure they had the utmost confidence in themselves going, we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. I would like to think that maybe the backlash helped because maybe in their little pea brains, they realized no matter what they did, no one no was going to see it. that movie. It would have fucked. It was going to flop. You think it would have fucked up uh, Marvel's movies going forward too? I think it might have had a small ripple. It all depends on how hardcore they want to get with it. It depends on if the, if they're going to Star Wars fan base it or not. Well, think about the Marvel movies too. It's like anytime there's like a hint of a dip. I mean, none of the movies lost any money, but you know, folks would be fans would be real vocal about little things they felt was wrong Age of with Ultron. it. But even though they would get little dips, they would like get themselves out of it really fucking quick too. Oh yeah. No, so I, I really don't know. But, yeah, it seems like the last bit of reporting is that he's allowed, quote-unquote, allowed back in the MCU and that Spider-Man 3 is officially announced for 2021. So, Is there, like, a legit movie company out there that is doing, like, legit business other than Disney right now that's not a streaming service? Um, I don't know what Paramount's been up to. Yeah, you don't hear a lot about Paramount. Mm -mm. I don't know who who are they owned by. Or is they they own Little Mothership right now. I think Paramount's their own thing. Yeah, Paramount's their own company. But yeah, so because Paramount had Touchstone. Yeah, so Paramount's a parent company. Okay, so at least have the catalog. Yeah, so they're I don't know what they're doing. 20th Century Fox does okay when it's not an action movie, but they're still owned by Disney, right? Now, uh, now they are yeah. technically, but yeah, I mean shit. That's what I'm trying. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Like that, since that mothership owns so many goddamn studios anyway, I, who's left? Like, what all motherships are left other than Paramount that I I can't think of any. Sony, Sony, yeah. But even then, they kind of like, you know, only thing anybody knows about them in the news lately has been like the Spider-Man drama. Yeah. None. They still have a few properties like Ghostbusters. I think is still Sony. Gotcha. And they're trying to they're trying to put a new Ghostbusters movie out again too. I think with like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, it? trying to make you quickly forget about that reboot they did. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, never mind, never mind, never mind. We're sorry, we're sorry, sorry. I just shows like just stick around long enough. They'll make us 
Stick around till 70. They'll make a fucking sequel out of anything. Yeah, really? <laughs> Has there been any one of those movies that have turned out to be any good? Like the Dumb and Dumber movie was just had like bad. no impact at all. That was real bad. And they all keep coming out like 30 years later. Mm-hmm. And people get so fired up about it. Like this Bill and Ted movie that's coming out. Everybody is going to lose their shit over it. How good is How good can it possibly be? It's a Bill and Ted movie. I know. It really feels like... Those sort of movies were so much of the time that if you were to try to do it now, it just wouldn't feel right. I know. We're going to do like 80s catchphrases now with Keanu Reeves and uh, What's-His-Nuts that played the other guy. (laughs) And it's like, and hell, we can even take it back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with Kevin. It's like, those Jay and Silent Bob characters are very much of the 90s, and for them to still be making movies with those characters now... If he wasn't doing it so tongue in cheek with the whole reboot thing, it wouldn't work. It it would it would feel very dated and weird. But for the fact that they're kind of being self aware with it, the '90s time period that they belong in is going to feel relevant in this reboot, especially in this in this uh, you say this time period with uh, stoner culture being as more prevalent than ever now too, since uh, everything's legal. Yep. And I think a way where that flopped and it's characters that belonged in the 90s and as much as everyone, including myself, wanted the reboot, when it happened, everyone just went, oh, that's what it would have been like? Never mind. Which was Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, when they, they tried had to that do the... Uh, they did one new season in 2011. When they were commenting on Jersey Shore episodes and shit like that. It's like... Technically, they were great episodes. They stayed very true to who they were. They didn't change at all. It's like, boom, all of a sudden these characters are back. It just didn't feel right. Especially since the the content of, that MTV was putting out at the time had nothing to do with uh, what Beavis and Butthead were a part of in that time period either. Well, it's like even the skits, they were funny. And it's like you were kind of able to transport it and kind of like visualize it as, you know, the 90s. Right. But there were still current day things that were in the series. And it just it still felt a little disjointed. Like people were kind of talking about a King of the Hill reboot. I'm like, no. Don't bring that back. That that deserves right to be right where it is. I, I don't want people like bringing back movies or remaking anything that's just perfect for like where it left off. Because like you say, time period matters. Absolutely. The only thing I remember from the Beavis and Butthead uh, reboot that they did was uh, one of the skits where they're outside an abortion clinic. Yeah. And I they did a little one. rally where like all the people are, are holding up picket signs and going like, uh, horse, horse. And, Be- and Butthead's just like, hey, Beavis, this must be one of those whorehouses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like that. That's timeless, quote unquote. You know, that that. That's is relevant funny. at any time. So it's like, yeah, there's those moments that it really worked, but it's just the overall feel, especially the main crux of the show being them commentating on things. Right, with like a period of uh, music video history where there were a lot of cliches. Yeah, and it's like, it just didn't really work. It's like the, the making fun of, you know, Snooky. It's like, yeah, everyone did. Yeah, really. It's like they, they were making fun of Pantera. It's like, you know, they, they were poking fun at, you know, it's like, you know, at dancing. They're like, oh, look at this fat fuck. You know, he's like, he's cool, though. He's like, he's still fat. You know, it's like they were still making fun of stuff that metalheads maybe sit here and go, those little kids don't know nothing, you know, kind of thing. Because that demographic was like metalheads and shit like that in that time period. Absolutely. So they were poking fun at the things they actually enjoyed. 
they're poking fun at things in the new series that no one liked. Especially a D- Beavis and Butthead fucking audience. Right. So that that's also maybe where the humor also fell a little bit. It's like they were making fun of stuff that you actually made fun of. God, I remember that time period where like Jersey Shore was just like everybody's favorite thing and I never got it. I never got into that either. You got into <laughs> Rock of Love though. I did watch that. <laughs> See, VH1 had like so much, like in between all the, you know, music docs and everything, they would throw any hair metal, like who a guy, whoever on any reality show and I would watch it. So actually the kind of trail off on that some, which will actually kind of lead into possibly a little, what we've been listening to maybe, cause this has actually been a pretty good little mic. It's, we've already been go for a little over an hour now. No shit. Yeah. yeah we've been doing good, but uh, past few weeks, we keep telling about VH1 Classic. That got me on my little brain thing thinking. I'm like, whatever happened to that show or that channel? So I did a quick little Google search. I was like, what? whatever happened to VH1 Classic? And it turned I remember. in. What happened to it then? Uh, it kind of it got bought out. I didn't get bought out, but it got canceled and it got replaced by MTV Classic. I know. I, I didn't know that. And it's the same fucking shit. It's the same video blocks. It's the exact same format. Not anymore. It went straight downhill. So when it got rebranded MTV Classic, exactly what you said, they just basically preloaded, you know, those old videos and stuff. And, you and know, they were kind of, ooh, are they still doing the movies? Well, that's what also started the whole thing is they started putting in movies at random times and kind of doing the Comedy Central thing where it was like that movie would play like three to four fucking times a day. And it wouldn't even be a music movie. No, it would, it would be, be like Fast Times at Ridgemont High or fucking Grease. Yeah, or, or no, not even. It would be like Ghostbusters. It would, not, it would be a movie not even connected to music. And they weren't even in HD or anything like that either. Yeah, but regardless, it's like they started doing that sort of thing. Then they did one more marathon of a ton of videos. And then they did a program change where they were trying to make it like retro MTV. And they were promoting it with like Beavis and Butthead and shit like that too, right? Beavis and Butthead, Cribs, all these like like early night, like late nineties, early two thousand shows. They were promoting it with that. The only Beavis and Butthead they showed were the reboot. The only cribs they showed were two thousand late late two thousands episodes. Interesting, like MTV two episodes. Like not like Ludacris is showing his house off or some shit. Oh yeah, not not even like just like new episodes of Cribs. Like they did like a new season a few years ago. They were only showing those episodes. I had no idea they were still doing Cribs. No celebrity death match, none of that. And now it's just to the point now where it's just like the dumping ground for old reboots of like old old reruns of like 2000 shows. Huh. Is that yeah. where Rock of Love is now? <laughs> probably. No, it'd probably be Flavor of Love. Shit, it's crazy how like that how successful both of those both of those I shows were. I watched Flavor of Love. That was fun. <laughs> My brother met Flavor Flav at an airport. <laughs> Tell me about that. From what he to- tells me, uh, he was with my mother at an air- at the airport in Atlanta, and uh, Flavor Flav was there sitting uh, with uh, one of his baby mamas yeah. and a couple of his kids. And from what he says, Flavor, he actually, you know what? He did take a photo with him, and uh, Flavor's totally wearing the clock. And my brother did the same thing uh, you did. He went up and said, hey, I really love that uh, song you did with Anthrax. That's one of my favorite things. And Flavor Flav was like real appreciative of it and everything. Yeah, and exactly. That's just the way you got to do it to get a cool reaction. And I always tell people, it's like we have our celebrity encounters. I hear people talk about their celebrity encounters. Nobody's going to beat my brother meeting Flavor Flav. (laughs) 
he wins. <laughs> it's like you meet Flav, like who? It's like just downhill from there. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily put him high up on the pedestal of just like because of like the, the that character be you know? all of meeting someone. Well, not even that. Just because I'm a big hip hop nerd and shit like that. And he was only a hype man anyway. But yeah. his character is just so infectious. And we grew up watching him on TV. <laughs> How do you know Flavor Flav? <laughs> Flav's my boy. It's like, I'm sorry. I call him William. That's his real name too, William Drayton. Drayton. Uh huh. For some reason, I know everybody's real names. I have so much useless knowledge. That all right? Then uh, you need to make that a game. Then test my knowledge. You need to uh, think. You need to go through and find like all these hype men and rapper uh, rappers from like the mid '90s, 2000s, like the like semi popular ones, uh-huh. and then like who uh, and then um, who wants to be a millionaire style multiple choice? Who's the name kind of thing? <laughs> Who is uh, like Calvin Brodus is the real name of which rapper? Yeah, it's shit like that. I think, or or the other way around, be like you know, Flavor Flav real name is, uh-huh. and then multiple choice on that. Yeah, within a few weeks, have that one for me. I think that'd be fun because <laughs> I've been trying to think of little stupid games we could play on here. I like that. I'll just throw the Calvin Brodus out there just because it's one of the more uh, famous ones. But but again, I'm so ignorant of all that. All right, I'll hang on to that one for you then. <laughs> I'm so ignorant of that entire like culture and everything, so I honestly just don't know. They have this whole doc series on Netflix now about the whole evolution of hip-hop, and it's like 12 episodes now at this point. They've got like three seasons out. and it's Remember those uh, Metal Evolution uh, documentary series yeah, that would yeah. come out of H1? It's in that format. Oh, okay, got where they it. Where they talk to everybody that was there in every location, and... Even A-listers like Snoop and Ice Cube are out putting their two cents on it. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't going to get Dre. You ain't going to get Jay-Z. or You ain't going to get the Billionaire Club. (laughs) (laughs) No, again, I just don't know so much of that stuff. So, yeah, you you could totally blow my mind. I've getting into that really within the past, like, five or six years. And that's only because, like, I grew up with it, really. Just kind of was just ever-present. Yeah. Especially with the 3-6 Mafia thing blowing up in Memphis when it did. Yeah, they won an Oscar. <laughs> That's what happened. They won an Oscar for "It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp." That song title won an Oscar. <laughs> See, that, that shit was real popular in Gaffney too, but it just it, it rubbed me the wrong way so hard that I was just like, no. Uh, yeah, I kind of went down no. Three Six Mafia rabbit hole, and it does not hold up. <laughs> <laughs> when I say weak ass, you say bitch. Weak ass. Bitch. <laughs> Seriously, I had a guy that walk around still doing that shit. I'm like, you gotta stop. <laughs> I know it. Well, let's see what kind of stuff still holds up in this day and age by digging into that Spotify playlist and figuring out what the hell we've been listening to. What you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. Well, why not? I like this new generation of music. Where did you record this? I bought it at the mall. What that person on your tape has is a medical disorder. All right, Cap, what the hell you been listening to this week? Sturgill Simpson put out a record on Friday that I've listened to like nonstop since I since I uh, hit that first track. And, you showed me some of that. And I didn't know anything about what it was going to be like when I put it on. Like uh, I'm a Sturgill Simpson casual fan. I've listened to his... Uh, I've listened to his catalog you know, consistently because uh, with playing with Kelsey, we do a couple of tracks off of uh, 
uh, one of his records. And mm-hmm. the last one he put out has some like New Orleans, you know, jazzy swing thing uh, deals with. He does a really odd version of In Bloom by Nirvana, of all things, on his last one. Really? Sturgill just kind of does whatever the hell he wants. He's a country singer, but he's a big 70s rock nerd, too. And see, and that's always what I knew him for is uh, being a country singer. But he's not afraid to like put on like weird like effects on guitars and vocal patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, because you put on just that little sample for me, and I was like, that country artist? Yeah. With uh, this new record he's got, Sound and Fury, it immediately starts off with like a... an almost an industrial drum beat with a fucking Jimi Hendrix-style guitar solo or like Prince. Damn. And supposed... From what I've read and what people told me, it's supposed to be in a company record uh, for an anime that's on Netflix. And I don't know if it's called Sound and Fury also. I am not an anime guy. <laughs> but if you listen to the music... There are so many layers to this. <laughs> I know it, and I kind of love it. As soon as that first song came on, I'm like, oh, what up, Sturgill? You're going extra wacky on this one. I love it. <laughs> well, hell yeah, man. No, I actually do need to check it out a little bit more. just haven't been in the wacky music mood lately. But it's it's a good runtime. It's like 40 minutes. Yeah. And the songs are like really hooky and danceable. There's like disco beats on top of it and shit like that on a few of them. And I'm just now with the anime context, it kind of makes the record a little better too. (laughs) Just so weird that it's Sturgill Simpson, the country singer too. Jeez, that is weird. Now I have to listen to that a little bit more. Now, and uh, mine's going to be a little bit uh, kind of tying it all together, but it is something I've been listening to a little bit more. Uh, Silver Tongue Devils, they finally got their debut EP released. I've been listening to that a little bit, too. And uh, it's on Spotify, and it's only four songs. Uh, probably, but the thing is, one of my fir- favorite ones is probably still the first track, Heart on Your Sleeve. I really like that one. And uh, Bring You Down is pretty cool, and so is Bad Habit. So is Trainwreck. It's a four-song EP. It's all good. They just got that uh, front man recently, didn't they? I believe so, yeah. But yeah, so this record came out pretty recently, uh, September 10th, it says. So it's only been out there for a short while. So just look up on Spotify, Silver Tongue Devils, and it's a little black and white EP, self-titled. It's also in the Something Good For You playlist. And they play shows on the regular. Yes, they do. Leading on into that, I do a little bit of housekeeping before we boogie on out of here. Uh, if By the time you're hearing this, boogie on down to Tommy's Pub tonight. Yes, indeed. To catch Kelsey Ryan. You're going to be playing with Kelsey. Uh-huh. And is DJ playing? DJ's playing. Uh, we're not having the full band. It's just going to be me and Kelsey playing. We're okay. just going to kick things off cool. and uh, with a little sassiness. Word, word. And then after that, uh, Wilma, the debut of Wilma, which is going to have Steven and Matthew Leone. And um, that's DJ. And DJ is going <laughs> going to be in that band and then directly after them is going to be milkweed which is davy dirt lacy and scotty stories on uh-huh. drums <laughs> and directly after that is going to be a short short little banger set from Superjet, which if you've been paying attention is tony davy cap and i along with matthew on drums and steven will get up and do keyboards but i don't think he's going to on this show because it's just a little small banger yeah. short set. But it's to help Jonathan and family Hughes, so definitely come on out and bring your wallets. If you've not done that previously with any of the other times, is a lovely man that can use any help in any way possible. He's making great strides toward recovery, but just because he's doing well physically does not always mean they're doing well financially. So since we can't help him out physically, let's at least help out financially. And we'll pump all that out through our social media outlets and all that too. Oh, yeah. 
Yes. And then directly after that, October 11th, we're going to be heading back up to Norton, West Virginia, playing with Fast Eddie. I can't fucking wait. You heard them last episode with that new single, Lost, and we're going to be playing with them. And Betrayed by the Bullets going to be doing an acoustic set, starting out the evening. Then round it back to what I've been listening to, October 19th in Pendleton, South Carolina at Hogtails. We're going to be playing with the Silver Tongue Devils. And that's going to be a decent little set for that one. And one of the last shows rounding out the year, at least for us, uh, November 9th in Gastonia, Freeman's Pub. We're going to be playing with Van Huskins and Queen City Rejects. We got y'all keeping me busy this year. That's right. And also that following, uh, well, uh, following next Friday on October 5th, I'm playing with Kelsey Ryan at Taba Fest in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Damn, dude. <laughs> I don't quit. You don't quit. And I know that Super Jet's got something lined up for December, and I actually sent off an email for something that Phillins might have planned out for December, so who knows what's going to come of that. Ooh. And let's see, get my timing right on this. Uh, by the time this episode is released, as always, we like to give a little bit of fun information beforehand, before it gets released. Uh, last week, we let you know about our signing to Wolfman. Uh, without any sort of warning except if you've made it this far in the episode make sure and pay attention to your spotify playlists and all that good shit on october 8th make sure and follow us on spotify now if you're hearing this because we will be dropping our debut single for this new record return to cinder on october 8th so just giving you guys a little heads up if you love us enough to listen to us this far and I think that's really all I've got to say about all that. Cap, do you have uh -huh. an outro for us? You can't sink our battleship. And thank you to Tommy's Pub for providing a little rock and roll haven these last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's right, brother. <laughs>
something to put at the end of that, <laughs> music-wise. Probably so, put a silver tongue. I was about song. to suggest. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another amazing production from the Cult of Dave Podcast Network. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.